Hey there, I'm Scott, and this is Tangents. I uh, I noticed in the episode from yesterday, or I guess Wednesday rather, uh, time is a blur to me. Uh, it has been for like a decade, probably more now. Actually, I uh, I went off, and at one point in time, I did have a kind of Monday through Friday schedule ish, but uh, e- even as a grad student. And kind of work all the time. Um, not to say that I was working all the time, but I mean, you know, I just didn't have a, a real firm schedule. And I would have meetings on certain weekdays, but I didn't really have a fixed, you know, schedule. And when I was a research scientist and kind of like professorish thing at ASU, didn't really have that much of a schedule. But you know, you'd have like for a while I was teaching a class with my friend Gil. And we had, you know, a schedule in that sense. But other than a school schedule, I haven't really had a schedule most of my life. And uh, certainly not a work schedule. And the thing that's weird is, you know, it's, it's actually fine. I, I kind of like it. I mean, I, uh, I don't... There was a time, like, I, I look back to school, and there was a time where I'd have, like, Monday through Friday, you have one time you get up. This was a time before the, the horrible insomnia that I've had for like a decade. Could be a coincidence, but it's interesting that it does seem to coincide with when I went off on my own and tried to, to struggle there. Um, but uh, before that time, you know, I'd sleep in. And then what would happen is like during the week, I'd get up earlier. And then on the weekends, I'd kind of slip a little bit. Um, sometimes by a few hours, sometimes by more. And then, you know, you'd have to like constantly fight yourself with that schedule. You know, you have the weekend schedule and then you have the week schedule. And it'd just be this constant uh, like, oh, this is the nice schedule. And then you fight back to get to the, to the week schedule. And then, you know, just, it was not fun. Um, I, I pretty much wake up the same time every day. Um, almost never need an alarm. Sometimes, sometimes I'll set an aspirational alarm, which is like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to be asleep at this time, so yeah, and I need to get up early tomorrow. So I set an alarm. Pretty much never am sleeping when that alarm goes off, if I ever do it. And uh, it, it's crazy how that's happened. But anyway, since that, since I've been doing that, and since I've been kind of on my own, um, well, on my own, I have, have a team, obviously, but uh, at the time early on, it was just sort of me, and. Since then, you know, I've not really had a schedule to speak of, and I don't, I don't miss it. Uh, but the thing that does happen is I've become kind of unmoored from the day of the week. Um, sometimes, for some reason, Sunday always feels a little shittier. Uh, I don't know what that is, but it just seems to. It seems like there's not as much that happens, or it seems like the day is just not as good, or maybe it's that things are closed more. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, the, the point of all of this, it was Wednesday, not yesterday, that I recorded that. I looked at the video, and there's a chunk of it, um, which I, I paused because there was a horrible noise outside. And uh, paused and meant to edit that out. Didn't edit it out. Uh, it, it's funny because I got totally sidetracked. I had a meeting after that, and then I had some other stuff that forgot about it. And the thing, the thing about it, I'm, I'm not going to go back now unless I suddenly have like a ridiculous excess of free time. I'm not planning on going back and taking that out. I think it's, it's not great, but it's, um, you know, a little peek behind the curtains, so to speak. Um, if you see it and it's like a deal breaker for you, uh, this is probably not the, the thing for you anyway. Um, if I do have time, I certainly will go back and tidy it up. I don't, I'm not super proud of the fact that that's there. But one thing I definitely, and actually one thing I noticed is in the audio of that, uh, because I have the lav mic, uh, it, it does come through, but in the room itself, it is ridiculous. And in the camera audio, it is you know, just super distracting. In the audio feed from the lav mic, it actually is not that bad. So my current plan is that when I do hear that, I'm going to plow through it. Uh, at some point, I would like to move and then probably 
get a room that is uh, a little more you know protected from external audio it, it's crazy how many you know like how much noise there is and you don't really realize how bad it is until you start recording stuff and I mean first off this room I have some sound dampening in place but not a ton and just the fact that it's like flat walls and right angles means every time a wave hits like comes into one of those corners it hits one of the walls bounces angle of incidence equals angle of er, reflection bunk bunk hits the next corner bunk and then returns to where it came and what that means is that in a, a rectangular room with right corners you basically have created an echo chamber so that audio going in any path just keeps bouncing back and forth and you can you can tell very well by being in that room how obnoxious it is now at one point in time i had an office uh, i had a like a live work space that was designed to be a live work space uh, the apartment upstairs was uh, okay and then the downstairs space had uh, like floor-to-ceiling window uh, pretty nice space but it was concrete floor concrete walls concrete ceiling and it was so loud in there like uh, I, I i just could not have a conversation with somebody in there uh, now obviously i could break it up with some furniture and such but it kind of sucked i didn't uh, don't recommend that i i definitely like the way that looks but the the audio for it just sucks the acoustics are terrible and it, it's one of those things that I would have somebody come into my office and then you just have a conversation with them and just a quiet conversation and it, it was miserable and distracting. I mean, some people didn't mind it or they didn't say anything, but never did not bother me. It was, uh, it was always frustrating. So it's, it's a thing that you start learning. Uh, I mean, it's a kind of interesting thing. It's nice to live in different places and work in different places and kind of get a feel for what it's like to be in that environment, what it's like to be in this environment. Uh, my, my first job out of high school, or actually my last year in high school, uh, was I worked at Intel. And I worked on developing neural network function blocks for embedded microcontrollers. And mostly it was like a research project, but that was the, the sort of like official title. And uh, I, I was there and I got to see what it's like to be in a cube farm. I worked at Intel a couple of times in in my life and this was the first one and it it's just i think it's an experience that you should probably have just to see what it's like and just to see you know there, there are nice things about being in a cube farm there are terrible things about it uh, some of the terrible things didn't have this in that round but the next time i worked at intel um, there was a dude in the cube behind me who would at least once and often twice a week there'd be a day where he'd be like clipping his nails you know and you'd just be working in there and then all of a sudden clip 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 from behind you and you want to scream at the guy but there's a sort of social thing that and especially like i at this point in my life i give less of a fuck but i'm still pretty nice and courteous and i'm not gonna I'm, I'm, I guess, well, nice and courteous here could be code for passive aggressive. I'm not going to directly confront somebody about something like that. And it's, it's really an interesting and delicate balance between not saying anything and saying something in a way that, you know, like gives people the, basically the, the feeling that they're not being attacked. Um, and also like gives me the feeling I'm not attacking someone because it's like you don't want to attack somebody but you're like hey dude um, you know I don't know if you know this that's really gross and really distracting and annoying that was a thing that I got in that cube form at the same time um, in the group that I was in there were these two guys who would always it, it's an interesting thing in group dynamics when you start when you start experiencing what it's like being in several different groups there's usually one or two people who drive a lot of the social activity. So if you don't have those people, 
Uh, it's an interesting thing. Like you'll have you'll have a lab where you don't have those people, and you basically never do anything outside of the the lab or the group uh, as a group. And then sometimes you do have those people, or you have like the advisor or the PI, the professor, uh, the group leader, whoever. Um, then you can have something where you'll go like at, at one point in time, once a week we would just go as a group to um, to Four Peaks or to someplace for lunch. And that was, um, that was my PhD advisor, and it was actually kind of nice. I, uh, I really enjoyed that. There's a, there's a mix, because if you're somebody who doesn't, you're not into that, um, I didn't realize this at the time. Like, I, I never drank at that time. I, I started drinking kind of late in my career, so to speak. Um, which is not to say I didn't, like, when my mom graduated law school, she had champagne. I was like 13. I had a sip of it. And predictably, or maybe not predictably, but predictably, I had a like, Ugh, God, that's terrible. But it was like, you know, I, it was not forbidden. And I, I generally assume, I don't know if I assume, I interpret the fact that it was not forbidden, that I had, like, if I really wanted to drink at that time, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. And so it wasn't this thing where, you know, I go off to school and I'm like, oh, I've got to drink as much as I can. I just, it was never a thing for me. It never really held that much appeal to me and yeah it was like uh, you know I tried uh, when I was young um, I don't remember what age but I had like a sip of Menashevitz and it was okay you know but it's not something that I'd really have that I had the champagne and uh, you know I think I had a sip of beer once when I was young all of these were like uh, the Menashevitz was like because it's ridiculously sweet like the the least objectionable, I'm not gonna say best, but the least offensive of those. But all of them, pretty much my experience was like, Bleh. not not great. Um, so I, I didn't drink. I, you know, I a couple of times would have, uh, like I moved to Hawaii after my undergrad and got my grad degree there. Had some friends and it was somebody's 21st birthday who now, I mean, not the, to date myself here, but now she is, I think, in her 40s. Fucking crazy how, how quick time goes. Um, it's also crazy how short human lifespans are. I think that's the, the bigger thing. It's not that time goes fast so much as humans live and it's a blink. But uh, it was her birthday, and I had, uh, I think this is the first drink that I actually ordered. Or somebody, I didn't order it, somebody ordered it for me. But it was a Mai Tai. And it was a combination of like rotten, so unpleasant, but also fruity, so kind of not bad. And it was an interesting juxtaposition. Um, still didn't appeal to me enough to, to go back to the well, so to speak, for a long time. But then I got in the lab um, years later, after, actually after my PhD, got in the lab um, and uh, this group where I was a research scientist, sort of research professor-ish, um, non-tenure track, yeah. hard to describe, but basically that. Uh, when I was there, got in this group and there was somebody in the group, um, Carl, who was, I don't know if he was necessarily social, but he basically drove social events. So we would, because of him, have a weekly kind of happy hour, which again, if you're not into drinking, like I, I went and I would go and I'd get iced tea and just kind of hang out with people. It's a mixed feeling when you do that. Um, I enjoyed it, but I can also say that, you know, it, if you're not drinking at these things, it's not that great of an experience. And if you're somebody who comes from a culture where drinking is either forbidden or uh, it's not, you know, it's kind of looked down upon, probably not your favorite thing to do. But I would go to these things and uh, there at one point in time, somebody talked me into having, uh, I, I don't remember the order, so I'm gonna fuck it up, but one point uh, they had me try a gin and tonic, which was gross, but like weirdly kind of tolerable. Um, soda water actually I find delightful now. If I go someplace where people are drinking, that's generally what I get, just uh, soda water and lime. But I had the gin and tonic thing. I had, uh, probably not the tonic, just the soda water. But uh, had that, I had uh, Long Island iced tea, which tasted okay. 
was actually surprising. And then that group of people kind of talked me into, well, they for a long time kind of like were thinking, I, I'm a very kind of subdued person as a general rule. You can see like sometimes I get um, upset, but even my level of upset is not like, you know, like I might say, you know, fuck this shit and this kind of stuff. But my level there is like here, like there are people who, you know, crazy level. I'm pretty subdued. So people tend to think, hey, if we get Scott drunk, that'll be, that'll be interesting. It'll be, you know, like who knows what it'll do, what it'll be like if he's actually, turns out experimentally, uh, just to give you a spoiler, I just get more quiet and more introspective and I get a little aphasia. So I get a little, um, you know, like, I don't have this normally and I never have it without um, either alcohol or extreme sleep deprivation, but I'll get something where, uh, not aphasia, synesthesia, totally different thing. Um, oddly enough, a form of aphasia because I used the wrong word to say synesthesia, but I would get synesthesia and basically lights would be too loud, for, if, it, if this makes sense, lights would be too loud for me to look at. So like if there's a bright light, it would hurt my ears. Um, crazy sounding. Doesn't happen until I have a little bit of alcohol, but definitely happens then. Um, I have also like, the experience that I have is I get more quiet, more introspective, and then I lose the ability to filter um, other conversations. So like if I'm at a bar or something and I have a beer, um, which I generally don't enjoy, but if I do that, um, I start hearing everything around me and I, I lose the ability to filter it out. So I hear all these conversations and almost all of them, you know, there's nothing to hear. It's like, you know, this is really dumb. Why am I hearing this? And it also is hard to focus on one because you're hearing all of them. So not a great experience for me. It's not like something that I am driven to do. And then uh, anyway, though, Carl, after a long time, kind of talked me into drinking, uh, for want of a better word, for to completion. So by that, I mean, you know, like as drunk as I could reasonably get, getting the full experience from a little buzzed to actually properly drunk, um, potentially a little dangerous level, but not, not ridiculously so. And so after a long time uh, getting talked into this, set up a day, planned it, and then uh, he and his wife uh, were gonna like drive me home, watch me overnight, you know, kind of take care of me. Just, you know, so it was as safe as possible. But we did this and I'm there. And I gotta tell you, I mean, it just, th there was no real appeal to me. Like the, the only thing that I get from that experience is I have had a lot of calories. I have some, you know, unpleasant, I mean, it's being buzzed is not terrible, but once you get past a certain level, it's not great. It does, it just is like, you know, what, what is the point of this? And then, um, you know, I threw up that night. First time I ever threw up from alcohol. I've only done it, I think twice. Um, the second time actually I had one drink and it was a very expensive, it was, I went to some friend's birthday. His brother bought all three of us um, I think it was cognac. I don't know what it was, but it was one of these giant novelty, like weird glasses and like this much, this much liquor. And it was like 50, 60 bucks a shot. And this guy, he's not a rich guy. He, so for him, this was a lot of money that he gave. And so I, I didn't want to not drink it, um, and insult him, but I had a sip and it was disgusting. Drank the whole thing. And then pretty, you know, a few hours later threw up. So I don't know if that was the alcohol or if it was just like my body not liking it or you know, whatever it was. Not a great experience. Um, definitely did not encourage me to drink this stuff again. And it, it actually gets to one of these weird social things um, that drives me drives me insane about, uh, like I, I did like, you know, going to Four Peaks. Four Peaks is a, a local sort of brewery. Um, today, if you go there, it's a lot of people kind of my age who probably are nostalgic for when they were students. Fewer students there now. Uh, but I would go with a group and it was fun hanging out with people. But you get a couple of things that really, really struck me. 
Um, first off, if you didn't drink, yeah, we, we would have a group of like 10, 12 people. And the bill, now they're great at separating it, but it, often places aren't. It's a pain in the ass for the people to, to do it. So we'd pay as a group. And when we'd pay as a group, yeah, you'd like throw the, um, yeah, you send the bill around and people put cash in. And some people are fine, but some people would put in exactly whatever their amount was, not adding tip, not adding tax. And the tip for these things is not negotiable because, I mean, this is one of those things I guess a lot of people don't realize, but waiters and waitresses make a pittance. It, it, is, it actually should be fucking illegal, honestly. Like, they get paid a couple bucks an hour, and after taxes, basically, they get paid nothing. And the money that they're taking home often is just their tips. So you get a couple bad tables that don't tip very well, and those people are, you know, they've had a very bad night. They're working hard. So it's a shitty system. It should not be, like, I'm, I'm hugely opposed to tipping because of that, but I still tip all the time because of that. Like, you, uh, you know, I, I tip as well as I can, as much as I can afford to, because it's fucked up. But it should definitely be that they just get paid properly and tipping is not a thing. Or tipping is actually a tip, which is, like, the idea that people have where, you know, like, it's a little extra not the core of their salary. But, you know, you'd go around in this group and people would not pay tax. The tax is absolutely non-negotiable. That's actually, like, in the bill. And then they'd not pay tip. And, you know, I would be, like, two-thirds of the way through or the last guy very often. I would not get alcohol. So this was another fun thing. Everybody gets food. Food costs a certain amount. And then a lot of people would get a couple beers. And each of the beers, you know, again... A lot of calories and they're not cheap so you know they would cost more than your meal and if you don't get alcohol with that then you'd end up with this huge like deficit at the end and of course me being very passive especially at the time I'd get the thing and I'd be like what the fuck you know I mean I'm, I'm paying like 20 30 bucks extra in addition to whatever I should have paid uh, because I, I would get like a sandwich and an iced tea was basically my thing. And, you know, you get this bill for, you know, you might as well have gotten a couple beers. When you're in this situation, um, if you do this sort of thing, it's not a good experience for people that don't drink. It's not a good experience also, like if you're, you have the social thing and people don't drink and they either get to choose, do they not go? and they don't get enmeshed in that sort of social glue, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but, you know, decisions are made then. People think about plans. People, you know, just have connections with people which bring them to, you know, like they're things that pay off later on. If you don't go to those things, you pay a real price. You, uh, yeah, I mean, this has been shown actually. People that don't go to parties or that don't drink don't get advanced as much. They have a like lifetime deficit in terms of what they get paid relative to people who do. Um, it's kind of a fucked up thing, actually. And it's one of those things like you don't realize how bad it is. And at the time, I used to enjoy like, hey, we're going as a group to, to this thing, even though I was paying more and I was excluded from the drinking part. And even though like I'm not a very loud person, so like what, what would happen in a small group, I can talk. Um, and when there are people who are willing to be a little bit deferential, you know, like, I mean, to me, the idea is I talk, you listen, you talk, I listen, and it's kind of a, a mutual thing. You get a lot of people, though, in any large group, this is pretty much, at least with Americans, not necessarily true of other cultures, but for our culture, any large group, you're going to have a couple people who are just loud. You know, and they're, they're not only, it's not just that they're loud, but they're loud and they have a lot of pressure behind them. They will not leave you uh, a hole to get in. And the only way you can have a conversation with them that's not just you being the audience and them being the speaker is for you to push back with a comparable amount of force. And for me, that's just exhausting. It's like, uh, yeah, and especially when you have a table like this, if I have one person and I really want to do it, 
I can deal with it, um, but it's not pleasant. But when you have a table and you have like three people, you have a table of 12 people, three of them are like this, getting a word in edgewise, I mean, you're basically just a passive participant if you're someone like me. And that, that was not the most appealing thing either. So like I'm saying, there are good and bad things to it. It was still nice um, as a social thing, but it, it, it's a weird thing actually. There was a time in my life where I was really desperate to get invited to stuff. I wanted to go to stuff. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, like when I was a grad student, there was this grad student I was super interested in, always, 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 want, and she was a very social person who would go out and do stuff, go to parties and things. I always wanted to get invited to that stuff. And in retrospect, probably pointless. And now actually like I get invited to stuff and for the most part, I'm actually actively trying to avoid it. Um, I don't feel, it, it, it's such a weird juxtaposition because at the time, even though I would, I'd, like I'd go to parties and I didn't have a good time at the party. You don't, you don't drink, you're not really socially vibing with these people. Um, it's not a great experience. Yeah, it's kind of like you just feel excluded or you feel like, um, you know, an observing quasi-participant, but you're not really there. You know, you're not really feeling it. I'd go to these things and uh, just in retrospect, um, like why? I mean, I think it was an important stage of development for me, but uh, like now I get invited to shit and unless it's something where I have a really compelling reason to do it, I just pretty much don't do it. And you think about it, I don't know, it's, it's, it's such, I guess this is a, a thing with um, like how, I don't wanna say wealthy you are, but if you are starving, then any kind of food seems appealing. If you are full and satiated, you're a little pickier. You know, you have more, more options you're not as likely to just eat whatever comes along. And I mean, even as a grad student though, like uh, when I was a little hungrier, um, literally and physically, uh, literally and metaphorically, I, you know, I, I would always see these things where like people would as an enticement to get you to go someplace, have like free pizza, ooh, free pizza. Um, sounds, always sounded dumb to me never really saw the appeal. It was never particularly good pizza anyway. Uh, and even at the time, it was like, oh, wow, you're investing a tiny, tiny pittance to attract people. Um, you know, I, I'll just go and do my own thing. I don't need the pizza. But this is a thing that appeals to people when they are in a position where like, you know, that pizza is actually an appeal. It, it's, you know, like they can't afford to do that much or, you know, getting food themselves is a thing where they actually have to make a decision. Like, do I get food? Do I, you know, eat sort of um, a subsistence thing? Um, in some some cases, like people would eat ramen or something like this that was just, when I say ramen, I mean like the cup of ramen, which I've never, I've never myself been able to, to taste. Um, I've, I've gotten one once because um, it's super cheap and I see the appeal but I got one of these things and just the smell was so offensive. Um, I was like, eh, I'll figure something else out, you know? And, but you know, like people have to decide, like, do I do that or do I have pizza? I'm, I'm sure if this is your choice, pizza is probably pretty appealing. You have other choices, you're probably not so desperate. And I, I guess this gets to one of these things. I mean, I mentioned this last time, but in our civilization, we are so wealthy compared with our ancestors. Um, there's, I, I think it's an accurate statement that we are wealthier, uh, and, and I don't just mean wealthier collectively, like, you know, but per capita. Divide all of our wealth up among all of the people. Um, even though our population has gone way up, we are wealthier per capita than we've ever been, which makes it inexcusable to have you know, I, I don't necessarily begrudge, say, Bezos for having insane amounts of money. Uh, and, and I do think like, you know, like it's difficult to conceive of how much money he has, but I don't necessarily, I mean, it, it's such a big number. Uh, I don't necessarily begrudge him that, 
except that it comes at the cost of other people. Both, you know, like he's not paying taxes, Amazon's not paying taxes, or at least not a material amount. Um, often big companies have negative taxes. They're not really contributing certain things. And then you think about Amazon, I mean, uh, to me, like the most disgusting thing about it is you imagine like all of these little mom and pop small businesses that used to exist and used to actually, it, it's not, when one of the things I liked about living in Paris was, you know, you'd go down the street and there are a bunch of little shops. It's kind of, it's kind of nice to have a boulangerie and a boucherie and, you know, like all of these little, little shops kind of not, you know, like Safeway or fries. Um, you have variety, you have options, you have kind of this distinctive, um, I mean, part of it is charm, but also part of it is they're much more interested in giving you a good experience and a good product. And all of this, all the little mom and pop shops now are consolidated into places like Walmart. So you think about all of the, all the people whose livelihoods, and it wasn't just their livelihood, they were able to make a decent living, uh, pay for their kids' college, retire comfortably, and have, you know, like actually contribute to society based on their shop. Well, now that shop and countless others aren't existing anymore. And instead of that, you have this giant conglomerate slurping up all of that money that was coming into them. And maybe they're getting a little bit less per thing. Like maybe they've got some efficiencies built in and their margin is a little thinner. But what would have supported all of these people is now all getting funneled to one fucking asshole. You know, and I'm not saying that Bezos is an asshole, but I think almost by definition to be the wealthiest person in the world as it is today and not do everything you can to fight inequity and to fight uh, extreme poverty, you know, if you're not doing that stuff, you're pretty much an asshole. And I, I'm not saying that most people wouldn't be an asshole in that position though. I mean, it's, it's one of these things you think about it when you are wealthy, uh, whatever that is defined as, like you have enough, here's a, like for most of human history, having enough food to eat, having shelter, having a reasonable, reasonable presumption that you're not going to die tomorrow or in a year. Um, all of those things would have made you wealthy and by, by the standards of thousands of years ago or millions of, well, I guess humans weren't around then, but tens of thousands of years ago, certainly. And you think about it, now we look at people in extreme poverty and it's hard to conceive of you know, like there are people in the world and not like 10 people. I mean, there are shit tons of people who have no running water. They, they have no, like no access even to purified water, which is something that we can take for granted. And uh, we can just, you know, I can just turn on the spigot and, you know, now I, I might pay a little bit for it. Although in Arizona, crazy thing, my ex-wife uh, is from Northern, uh, I guess, Northwestern Oregon. And their water price in Oregon, a place where, you know, the coastal Oregon, a place where water is very plentiful, their price for water is actually not cheap, which means that they were a little cautious about blowing away water, like pissing it away. Here in the desert in Arizona, water is so fucking cheap. I can't even explain to you how cheap it is. Um, it, it's just, it's dumb. It's like, there's no incentive at all unless you're like at the poverty level, there's basically no financial incentive not to waste water here. And we are in a place where wasting water is very costly. Maybe not to you individually, but collectively, it's a big fucking deal. And if everybody used a little bit less water, we'd actually be much better off. But there's no, there's no pressure to do so other than like, oh, I just wanna do the right thing which is nice to be intrinsically motivated, but it's nicer still to have some kind of like systematic pressure to encourage people collectively or government organization to actually push people in a certain direction. So it's a weird thing, but having that makes us very wealthy compared to the extremely poor in the world. Having roads, having electricity, all of this kind of stuff. So many people can't even conceive of the things that our poor people have. 
And I'm not saying that our poor people should consider themselves wealthy, although it's hard to, you do have to put things into perspective, but it, it does kind of make you understand why if you're Bezos, the, the plights of a normal person are not even, like it's, it's difficult to conceptualize. It's, I, I would argue probably for him, it is almost as difficult. This is a guy who has his own private space program. Most countries don't have their own space program. This is one individual who does, Blue Origin. And when you are in that position, he could, like, I mean, you think about the amount of stuff that this one person individually can do. Um, it's hard. It's got to be hard just to wrap your mind around the trivial minutiae, which are most of our everyday lives. Um, if you're... I, I, I can't imagine the last time he has had to like worry about, can I pay the bills? Do I, am I going to be able to pay my credit card this month? Am I going to be able to pay the internet bill? You know, for him, not even a thing. It's just like an in, effectively infinite resource. Uh, I could, you know, I mean, it's, you think about it. It's like you have this thing, you could use it your entire life and not even make a dent in the availability of that resource. Um, his, he could be insanely um, generous with his money and still probably keep accumulating wealth. It, it's a weird thing because when you look at the cost of living, the, the sort of baseline uh, lowest level like of subsistence is low, but not zero. And there are a lot of people who are living in the point where they're kind of, you know, like fighting just to make that. And then as you get more money, you can raise the amount that you spend. But there's a certain point where you've made, well, made, you have so much money that you just can't eat it all. You can't, I mean, this is why you get weird things like a burger covered in gold leaf. Because people want to feel, this is a weird human attribute, but they... They want to spend money and feel like they're getting something. And if spending a thousand dollars, if you are financially in a place where spending a thousand dollars on a meal is not even like, it, it's like pocket change or not even, it's so little that you can't even meter it. You can't, you could do a thousand dollars on a meal, every meal, the rest of your life and not work again. And you'd be fine. You wouldn't, it wouldn't even come out in the, um, in the details, it would just be like a rounding error. If you're in that position, you, know, you start understanding, like if you are the kind of person who needs to feel like you're getting something for it, you start doing weird, crazy shit. And I think, I think also, I mean, at least Bezos is, sorry that I'm, I feel like I'm obsessed with this dude. I, I'm more obsessed with the things around him. It's like, I talk about Trump a lot, Trump is terrible, but the things that bother me the most about Trump, like I can live with the fact that someone like Trump exists. I can live with the fact that someone like Bezos exists. And Bezos, you know, aside from being an actual billionaire um, and arguably, although less self-made than you would think reading the stories if you go into a little bit more detail. Yeah, but uh, yeah, pretty hard to argue he hasn't gone like way above where he was or where he would have been. Uh, but those people are bad and Trump is definitely bad, but it's really like uh, the, the people that bother me the most, like I, I almost don't even, I don't like Lindsey Graham. I don't like Mitch McConnell, but at least you can understand where they're coming from and why they're doing what they're doing. The people who just, fucking piss me off the most are the Democrats who should be better and who have essentially created a situation where Trump could get elected. And also, I mean, like nominating Biden and putting us in a position where all of these things that should be complete no brainers, like you should look at Trump and think this guy is fucking corrupt. With Biden, you know, if you just, just looking at the Hunter thing, alone. 50k per month from people who want to influence your dad. Now, is he corrupt? Probably not. I mean, he's he was one of the poorest people in Congress, which tells you a lot about Congress. But, uh, yeah, 
probably not corrupt. Probably nothing wrong with the Hunter thing, but it looks fucking bad. And it looks bad enough to me, and you think about it, like if somebody is not really paying that much attention, they hear about that. Now you say Trump is corrupt and they're like, well, what about Hunter? Okay, now you can't talk about corruption. You, I mean, you can, but you, you're persuading people like me who are already on board with Trump as a horrible person who needs to be removed from the, like he should never have been president. Um, you think about, uh, you know, like women. So Trump has probably, I, I don't think it's false to say, probably has raped people, um, certainly has sexually assaulted women. I think that's not even a question. You know, all of these things like grab him, grab him by the pussy, right? Well, fucking Joe Biden is, I think, credibly accused. Wherever you, wherever you stand on this, though, um, you have Tara Reid, who literally has accused Joe Biden of grabbing her by the pussy. Like, I mean, you think about the fucking absurdity of, of that. I mean, and then there are people who say, like, you know, oh, well, if Bernie was the nominee, then someone would come forward and lie. Bullshit. Bullfucking shit. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, this is a thing. Now, obviously, you can't tell if somebody's lying or not. But somebody tried to accuse Fauci of doing something. And then she came forward with like, and eh, no, I was actually put up to it by uh, Trump supporters. You start seeing a lot of this stuff where like when somebody is falsely accusing someone of something. Well, first off, you know, Fauci doesn't have um, all this video of you know, like the weird groping and hair sniffing and all of this stuff that, um, that Joe does. I mean, you look at Joe Biden and I mean, there was, there was this great, and I think it's funny actually, because there's a daily show episode from, I don't know, like 2015 or maybe 2014 years ago. So this is not a recent thing at all. It was when Jon Stewart was still on the daily show and they had, it's called the audacity of the grope. Um, I'm not going to link to it, but you could, you could look it up. And it's showing like the stuff that he's doing and it makes you physically uncomfortable. And you know, is it that big of a leap to go from, okay, here's a dude who had, you know, like he was an adult male uh, for many decades when sexism was much more acceptable. Um, where, you know, like, I mean, there was a time where like assault, physically assaulting your secretary was not that your secretary, of course, would be a woman and, of course, would be dressed in a very um, sort of seductive way. And physically assaulting her was like, that's just what dudes do. It was, I mean, the, the kind of stuff that was just a given at one point in time. Um, and I, I think actually, like, the, the most truthful thing that I've ever heard about Biden, uh, and when I say truthful, I mean, you know, people may believe what they, what they say, that they don't believe the stuff or that, you know, I don't think that's the case. The most credible from my perspective person talking about him was a woman who told me that she thinks all white males have done this. Now, first off, I'm going to tell you, I haven't fucking done it. Uh, I guarantee you most people haven't done it. And I'll tell you something else. Most people, it doesn't ring true for. I mean, most people don't have the audacity of the grope. They don't have that series of videos where you see, it's not just that he's doing it. I mean, it's bad enough that he's doing it and it makes you uncomfortable, but you, oh, plenty of these videos, the women look uncomfortable. It's not just that um, he's doing it and they're like, okay with it. It's not like he has the relationship with them. It's like, they're actually uncomfortable about it. And so you have all that. And then you have this, and I think very credible accusation, which seems to have a lot of independent uh, corroborating evidence. Like there's no, absolute smoking gun here but uh, there's a lot of stuff that sort of starts making you think oh there's seems like there's something there something i think at the very least something happened i don't know what it was uh, but the idea that you know she doesn't wear pantyhose to work one day and then uh, gropey mcgroperson um, is gonna like sit next to her in a little room and maybe uh, you know he thinks he's flirting because you know I'm a hot shit senator, uh, you know, and he's like, uh, you know, like touches her leg. She's a subordinate and she kind of feels like, uh, I don't really like this, but I don't really want to say anything because I don't want to lose my job. And then, you know, you're, you can imagine you're in that position 
and he's just like putting his hand like further and further up your leg into your dress and then touches you i can totally see like it does not seem um it, does, it seems very very credible to me i now i'm not saying he did it the, the correct answer for anything like this is i don't know um it's but the thing is we're not trying to convict him of sexual assault here the burden of proof obviously then like you know is, is a little bit different. The standard of proof has to be like beyond a reasonable doubt for actual like a criminal conviction. But the idea like with him or with Kavanaugh that you have this credible accusation, which definitely, you know, like I like beer, you know, this, this fucking guy seems very credible that he would have been blackout drunk and done this stuff to Ford. Seems very credible, you know, almost like to the to, to the extent that I almost am shocked that someone else hasn't come forward with Biden. Um, I mean, you do have actually like like eight or nine women who have come forward with him making them feel uncomfortable. Um, but I'm I'm surprised that you know like this guy, also fucking plagiarist. You know, has, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I'm I'm gonna get past the the Tara thing. But the Tara thing uh, just seems very credible. And even if you don't believe it, it's credible enough that it takes being, you know, like it takes the pussy grabber thing off the table. Pussy grabber should be a no-brainer slam dunk against Trump. Takes it off the fucking table. You cannot accuse Trump of that without, well, what about Biden? What about Tara? Uh, and then you have Anita Hill. That one, not even a question. There's fucking video of it. It's well in the record what he did there um yeah and, and then you look at clarence thomas i mean this guy it just arguably one of the worst supreme court justices and yeah i mean you think about the idea this is this is one of these things about tokenism that just fucking kills me because he replaced thurgood marshall i believe and um, thurgood marshall was you know he he was the guy who did brown versus the board of education uh, basically, you know, separate is inherently not equal. Super famous guy. Uh, and then this guy had to sit on the Supreme Court and just watch, you know, like kind of cringing about a bunch of stuff probably for his career. But, you know, and then he gets replaced by Thomas, who, like, yeah, okay, they're both black guys, uh, but definitely not fucking fungible. Let's just say, yeah, I, I mean, I, this is not a legal podcast. This is not a legal discussion, but you know, look into Thomas's uh, crazy dissents, and they're just abundant. It's just like I mean, you know, and then I don't know. It it, it drives me insane. And then you think about also, like, um, so you got that women should be a no-brainer slam dunk against Trump. Not really with Joe. Um, I know I've made these these arguments before, but I just can't get over how fucking stupid it is. I keep hearing people also say, you know, like, oh, Joe's got it in the back. You know, women are white women are totally not voting for Trump now because of, yeah. I don't know that this is true. If you look at the Gallup polls, um, so Gallup has a presidential approval center, and you look at their poll, um, their their approval rating for Trump, among Democrats, it's like seven percent, and it has consistently been. But among Republicans, it's currently like 93%, maybe a little bit more now. And it's been gradually, gradually going up, not down. Um, and then all of this stuff, like the, the Democrats' whole idea here is fuck people like Scott, fuck people who actually want a Green New Deal, fuck people who want Medicare for all, fuck me. Um, we're instead going to go after the handful of never Trump Republicans who are not gonna vote for Trump, but also say that they wouldn't vote for Bernie because they are fucking horrible people. Like, I'm sorry, if you're a never Trump Republican and you would not vote for Bernie, and especially if you would even vote for Trump, not a good person. You know, you're like, okay, we fucked up our, com our, our uh, I was gonna say country, although you did, uh, but you fucked up your party so much and now you're taking over the other one. So we have the center-right Democrats and then we have the far-right Republicans, there's no party at the moment for me. 
And the structure of our system is such that, um, like I, I talked about uh, first past the post voting, all these other things that basically, I'm not gonna say it makes it impossible to run as an independent, but it is a huge uphill battle. Running as a Democrat is hard. Running as an independent is insanely, stupendously hard. And, you know, it's just, like you can do it. We have an existence proof in Bernie. But even then, he wanted to run, as pre or run for president basically had to run as a Democrat, otherwise, you know, he'd be a spoiler. And, I mean, it's, it's crazy to me also, like, I don't want to quite say when Joe loses, but basically when Joe loses, you know, obviously it's not a certainty, maybe I'm wrong, but I think most likely scenario, Joe loses. Um, assuming that happens, even despite the fact that Bernie has endorsed him and he's arguing for him, Bernie's gonna get fucking blamed you can already see people are, I mean, it's not even like future tense, it's already happening. Similarly, like the, the videos, like, and I, I, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with Democrats that they don't see this shit, but you know, the, the videos that the Trump campaign has already put out about Joe, and this is before you know, he's got the nomination and things start really ramping up, they're pretty fucking damning. I mean, you know, they're, they're like, I see them. I see them and I'm a super anti-Trump guy and they definitely make me go like, oh God, yeah, like they don't look good. You have to imagine people on the fence looking at this. Like if there's somebody who's legitimately on the fence and they see that, it's like either, either they're gonna say, I don't give a fuck, I'm not gonna vote for anybody or they're gonna say, well, fuck it, they're both just as bad and then they vote for Trump. Um, it's, it's, it's such a dumb thing strategically. Um, and, and like even if he wins, even if he wins, I don't think it ends up being a good thing for us because he wins and at least things are not cataclysmically bad now um, and we can kind of restore stuff. But very quickly, the Republicans will bullshit people and they'll say like, oh, look at how much the Democrats suck. And they will be able to say it credibly because we won't have Medicare for all. We won't have some major thing that changes the experience for people. Instead, we'll just have, you know, like the ACA kind of redux and things that are not going to end well for us, things that are not going to play well for us or be compelling. And then you get worse than Trump. You get a competent version of Trump. And I like, I really think that's the trajectory that we're on. So, you know, I mean, it's either that or Trump gets reelected. We've already seen how fucked up that is. So just a, a terrible situation. So anyway, I, it, it is such an annoying thing that I can't not talk about politics. I, I look forward and aspire to one day not having that be the case, uh, but today is not that day. It probably won't be for a while. And I will say this, I've already resolved myself, I've said this before, but I basically resolved myself to either Trump is getting reelected or stupidly uphill battle, um, like, Imagine Joe gets elected. Like the best case scenario you can imagine. And well, the best case scenario is actually Joe steps down and then we nominate somebody who can actually fucking win and who will actually do good things. But let's imagine Joe gets the nomination, somehow he pulls it through, and now you've got this situation where the dude who said he will probably veto Medicare for all if it comes to his desk is the president. Um, you know, so like we can't even do it he's gonna veto it and or or we spend you know insane amounts of effort trying to persuade him not to be a complete dickhole um, just because you know, he's getting money from well I, I don't know this will be the last thing I say I'm gonna jump from Joe to uh, Mark Kelly for a second I'm gonna vote for Mark Kelly and the general um, mainly because there's no fucking option but Mark Kelly, and Mark Kelly, as far as I can tell, fine person. I have no real objection to him. It's kind of actually part of why I don't like him is just there's nothing, there's not a lot there. Yeah, I mean, he's he's fine, he's competent, he's, um, I think he'll be an okay senator. Probably a better senator than cinema. But the fact that this guy just kind of like made these backdoor deals and all of a sudden overnight goes from not even on the radar to he is the Democratic nominee well, well before uh, our primary. You see that and you're like, 
I'm not, I'm not super keen on this. This is not a great fucking situation. This is something, you know, I, I'd like to have a competitive primary. I would like to have somebody else running. Even if it's somebody who's going to lose, at least for the test, at least, you know, like, do it. I mean, don't get me wrong, McSally is terrible, but Mark Kelly is like, eh, yeah. And the thing that kills me there is more, more than the Mark Kelly himself, it's just that you can, it really sort of like gives you a peek into the sausage being made. And between that and having run in, uh, in 2018 and seeing a little bit more of that for myself, it's just not a, not a good situation. And it's not really, it's not motivating at all. It's like, oh, this is great. You have some other asshole getting a shit ton of money, um, basically being told not to take any positions on anything, any, you know, like, all we will do is stuff that pulls very well. And, you know, like, we're not going to take any risks at all. And you're not even allowed to. And it's like, you know, ugh. I, I don't know. The fact that he would actually acquiesce and agree to such a thing, which I believe he absolutely has, um, tells you pretty much all you need to know about him. Like, and, and then you look at cinema. Cinema, I regret having... I, I mean, the thing that's funny is I voted for her specifically to keep McSally from being a senator. And then McSally got to be a senator anyway. That's fucking great. And then, you know, I, the thing that finally got me to vote for Cinema was that she said, and I'm not even sure I believe her now, but she said she would have voted against Kavanaugh at a certain point. That was like the threshold for me. Um, and again, I still don't quite believe her. Barr, she did support. She and two other air quotes, Democratic senators voted for. Now, on one hand, they probably didn't matter. They probably could have voted against him and it would have been a pure, you know, all the Republicans vote for him, all the Democrats vote against him. He still gets, um, still gets confirmed. But at least then you'd be on the right fucking side. And also, at least then, all it would take is persuading one Republican to defect and he would have not gotten approved versus like you can just see the if you look at cinema's votes you can just see the, the machinations and the calculations that she's going through to say okay this vote um, okay this vote maybe it matters and it's safe so I'm gonna vote the right way but this vote eh, it kind of would matter one way or another but if I vote against they're still gonna get confirmed and I can get the vote with the Republicans. So my statistics can go like, oh, I'm the most right-leaning, moderate uh, senator, which is just so fucking disgusting to me. I mean, this, this, the idea that this is what you're doing. I mean, this is something also like, this is a person, once you're a senator, senator, like I understand when you're a representative, you have two years to do something or to get reelected. Um, it's, it's pretty hard. Two years goes by in a blink. You can understand not getting your shit done in two years and needing to make some calculations. Six years, on the other hand, it's three house terms. Now, I'm not saying it's forever, but in six years, you could do something. And also in six years, you could take a couple of stands, like make your calculated stands to do the right thing. And what are you going to do? Like, I mean, is the, is the party going to primary you because you did a couple of things that were right? Are you going to lose votes because you didn't nominate somebody who is basically making Trump uh, and his administration above the law? Um, yeah, not nominate, confirm, but just it, it kills me, this situation. With that, um, I think this has gone on long enough, so I'm going uh, to drop off for now. So thank you for listening, and uh, as always, say Jen.